You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. It is good to see you today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 is where we will be today. And if no one has said it to you yet, let me be the first to say happy October. Uh, Or as my front porch says, it's fall, y'all. Right? Uh, And so uh, maybe maybe you have already indulged in a pumpkin spice latte. Um, I think that coffee is bitter. Uh, and it's gross. Uh, so I don't drink pumpkin spice lattes, but maybe, maybe you have. Um, I lived in, uh, in Kentucky for a couple of years, and um, apparently one of the things they like to do in Kentucky uh, is to make fun of people uh, from Florida. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm not talking about last night. That's not what I'm here to talk about. All right. Uh, but one of the things that they would do uh, is they would talk about how, oh, in Florida, you don't have seasons. Right. Uh, that's one of the great things about living in Kentucky or living outside of Florida is you have seasons. You've got fall and winter and spring and summer. And I would say, hey, look, if you've never lived in Florida, you don't understand. We have seasons. Right. Uh, we've got football season. We've got love bug season. Right. We've got snowbird season and we've got hurricane season. Right. Like we have have seasons, right? Uh, but if you, you're not from here, if you've never lived here, you don't get it. Uh, well, one of the things that uh, I found out about whenever uh, I left uh, the Sunshine State was this thing called seasonal affective disorder. Maybe, maybe you've heard of this before. Uh, and this is uh, basically, it's a disorder that affects people uh, as the seasons change, typically uh, in the fall and the winter. So October uh, is really when seasonal effectiveness disorder, seasonal affective disorder, uh, it really starts to hit people kind of later in October as the the days get shorter, uh, the weather gets colder, the leaves start to change and start to fall. Uh, People find themselves maybe getting sluggish uh, or tired or anxious or discouraged. I was reading about it this week, and and some might characterize it as a lack of joy. Now, if you were to Google lack of joy, uh, you would find 169 million results that are returned in 0.56 of a second, so just over half a second. Now, these articles, as you look at this, uh, they try to diagnose this and and they discuss it and and they talk about treating lack of joy or joylessness. One of the things I was interested to find is that many people or many psychologists, they don't even really think that joy is a real thing. That instead, joy is just kind of the compound of several other emotions or uh, several other feelings. Well, where we pick up in Philippians is we start this new series of Paul's letter to the Philippians. What we find is we find Paul writing to the church at Philippi, instructing them and encouraging them to have serious joy, uh, to be serious about their joy. In fact, as Christians, uh, as people who have been called, saved, redeemed by Jesus Christ, we should take joy very, very seriously. Right? We of any other group should be a joyful people. 
And as Paul's writing in Philippians, he's unpacking what does this look like? What does serious joy look like? And so this morning, we're going to look at the first 11 verses, and we're going to see this truth. We're going to see that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And we're going to see how Paul begins his letter to Philippi with this on his mind, that the gospel changes everything, and how he begins instructing the Philippians and how he begins instructing us on how to have serious joy. Uh, So if you have a Bible, uh, let me encourage you to find Philippians chapter 1. If you don't, uh, you can grab that Bible in the pew in front of you. We'll have the verses on the screen as well. But let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious inspired word. Beginning in verse 1 of Philippians, the Spirit says to us this morning, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. You can be seated. Amen. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful for today. Lord, we're grateful for your word that is true. We're grateful for this letter to the Philippians. And Father, we pray that you would bless our time together this morning, that you would bless our study of this book, this letter, over the next several weeks. And Father, we pray that you would instruct us, you would teach us uh, how to have serious joy. And Father, we pray this morning that Central Church would be known as a joyful and a joy-filled church. God, we pray this We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we look at uh, these first 11 verses of the book of Philippians, uh, we see Paul showing us that the gospel changes everything, and we see three characteristics or three marks of a life that has been changed by the gospel and a life that is seeking to have serious joy. And so uh, the first mark that we see is this, is gospel confidence. Gospel confidence. See, Philippians is about joy. It's not a generic or a superficial joy, but a real joy, a serious joy. And Paul begins instructing the believers at Philippi in this serious joy by just reminding them of the gospel, that the gospel has changed them, that they have a partnership in the gospel. And so as the gospel is changing everything, then there are things that should be true of them. This first one is gospel confidence. And so Paul begins in a pretty standard way, the way that he begins his other letters. He introduces himself and Timothy, and then he jumps into his relationship with the Philippians. He he jumps into how he feels about these brothers and sisters that he has walked beside, that he has walked along, that he has walked with. See, for Paul, this isn't just another church. It's obvious that they mean something. 
Now, as we look at verses 3 and 4, we, we get this impression, we get this idea that Paul is praying regularly for the Philippians. And this isn't just some uh, perfunctory prayer to cross off his list. This isn't just something that he feels like uh, he has to do. No, what we see is that Paul's prayer for the Philippians is a prayer with joy. It's not a dull act, but it's a privilege. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Now, just as an aside here, one of the things that this should remind us, this should spark in us, uh, is the great privilege that it is to intercede on behalf of others, right? Uh, Paul didn't live in Philippi. In fact, Paul is writing from prison. Now, he's writing from prison, believing, thinking that he's going to be released. He's going to be freed. We see that later on in the letter. But he's writing from prison, and his first, his first statement isn't, hey, pray for me, I'm suffering, no, his first statement is, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Right? Paul is stuck in prison for preaching the gospel. And what does he do? Hey, I get to pray for you with joy. Now, where does this joy come from? It arises from their partnership. If we were to look at verse 5, we, we see that this partnership, right, Paul says here, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so what does this partnership look like? Well, this partnership is both uh, personal and it's financial, right? So we know from later on in the letter that the Philippians uh, were generous. They were giving to support the mission uh, that God had called them to. And one of the ways they were doing that is they were giving to support the mission that Paul was living, but it was also a personal appeal, right? It's also a personal care, a personal partnership, and that they are praying for, caring for, wanting to hear how Paul is doing. And so this partnership that Paul's talking about here, and he's going to unpack it a little bit more later on in this passage, this partnership is one that isn't just something that benefits Paul, right? It's not just something that Paul is being a recipient of, but it's something that benefits both, right? It's a mutually beneficial partnership. And so this leads Paul to this promise that he gives in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, what God has begun, he will finish. Now, what is this good work? This good work is their salvation. It's their salvation and their sanctification. Now, who began this good work? God did. Who's going to finish this good work? God is going to finish this good work. God has saved them. He's given them salvation. Now he's making them more like Jesus. That's sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big, it's a churchy word that is just talking about. It's a way for us to talk about the way that we become more like Jesus. So sanctification is that, that process that God forms us and conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And when we talk about sanctification, there's two ways that we talk about it. Uh, so first is positional, right? That we have been positionally sanctified. That means that when I stand before the Father, that right now I stand before the Father, just like we sang, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, right? I'm one with Christ. I'm united in Christ. And so when the Father looks at me, when he looks at believers, when he looks at Christians, he sees us the way he sees Jesus, 
right? He sees us as righteous. But there's a second way that we talk about sanctification, and that is a, a progress, right? A progressive sanctification. That, that though the Father looks at us right now as righteous, we know, and He knows, right, uh, that we still have more room to go, right? That we are still, uh, still being worked on, still being conformed into the image of Christ. And this is something that continues until we go to glory, Right? It continues until we go to the Father. In some ways, we might say that we are all like our own little I-4. Right? Always under construction, but never really done. Right? Uh, that's, that's how we feel from time to time. And that's the truth. Right? That God is continually working in us and through us and for us. And the good news is, is that God always finishes what he starts. Right? Uh, so, so maybe you're even thinking right now about that project you have at your house, right? That wall that needs to be painted, those floors that need to be finished, that, that uh, flower bed that needs to be mulched, whatever it is. And you're thinking, I should really get to that, right? I should really do that, right? Our God never leaves a task halfway done, right? He always finishes what he starts, Several years ago, I got invited to go on a bike ride with a friend after church. And so I'm thinking, right, leisurely Sunday afternoon bike ride. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I show up uh, to my friend's house. His name's Chris. Uh, I show up to Chris's house. Uh, he comes out. And Chris isn't in, like, workout shorts and a T-shirt. Like, he's in the bike shorts and the shirt and the helmet and the shoes. And he rolls his, you know cycle out like he's Lance Armstrong without the steroids right like he is like ready to go uh, and so I immediately think I've, I've made a mistake here uh, and so uh, I get uh, I get on my bike and so we're going we're pedaling it's going to be a great time uh, and he says yeah so I'm thinking I normally do 25 miles <laughs> I'm thinking like no right uh, and uh, so uh, he says okay let's do 10 miles and uh, I'm thinking in the back of my head no, please no. But I can't say that, right? Because I've got, I've got a reputation, right? I've got street cred I've got to keep. And so, so all right, 10 miles it is. And so I go with Chris. We, we, ride, we go on this bike ride, and I'm doing okay. Uh, and then I realize, man, he's going really fast, right? This is, this is a sprint 10 miles. And uh, so I tried to hang with him, ended up falling back. About eight miles into it, uh, I am just ready to be done, right? I'm, I'm praying for the Lord to return. I'm praying for whatever... <laughs> Whatever it may be. Uh, and so we finally, we, we press through, I press through, I grind, I drudge, I push all the way through. We finally get back to Chris's house. Uh, he pats me on the back, gives me a bottle of water, I go home. All right? here's the thing. That is not the picture of the Christian life that the Bible presents right? That's not the picture of the Christian life that verse six presents, right? That it's not that God tells us how to begin and then he tells us where to go and then says, okay, go do it on your own, right? He doesn't start the project and then say, all right, now you finish the project. No, what Paul tells us in Philippians one verse six is that God begins the project. God works on the project and God finishes the project, right? And that project is you and I. Hey, he doesn't say, look, what God began in you, you need to 
finish it so that you can make it to the day of Jesus Christ. Right? He doesn't say that what God has begun working in you, then you've got to try to finish it. No, our sanctification is ultimately and finally not dependent on ourselves, but dependent on our God who has saved us, right? That's what gospel confidence is. Gospel confidence is the realize that our confidence isn't in ourself. Our confidence is in our God and our God never fails, right? Our God always finishes what he starts. And so maybe even now, you're thinking, but even it doesn't feel like God is working in me. It doesn't feel like God is working on me. I don't feel like I'm growing very much. Well, there's any number of reasons for that that we could talk about, but here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to remember. God is always working and God is always going to finish what he starts, right? That's the good news of the gospel for us is that the God who saved us hasn't left us on our own. The God who saves us is working in us and through us to conform us into the perfect image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. If God left us to ourselves, we would never finish the project, right? One, because we don't know how to finish it. And two, because we don't have the strength to finish it, right? This is soul work. This is heart work. And the one who does soul work, the one who does heart work isn't Ethan. It isn't you. It's God, right? God does heart work. God does soul work. And so we see in this passage that the gospel changes everything, including you and me. And a life changed by the gospel, it's marked by gospel confidence. Next we see this, is it's marked by gospel partnership. It's marked by gospel partnership. Now Philippians, one of the main themes of this book is joy. But there's another theme that doesn't get talked about quite as much when people study Philippians, and that's the theme of partnership. What we see over and over and over through this book is Paul talking about the partnership, not only that he has with the Philippians, but also that the Philippians have with one another, right? We'll see things like locking arm in arm, striving for the faith. Right, contending together for the faith. Right, this is really a theme not just in Philippians, but in the New Testament itself. See, the gospel changes everything, including what partnership looks like for believers. Look at verse 7. Paul says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers or partners, he's already used that word once, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And Paul says, it's, it's right for me to feel this way. That word feel literally means mindset. It's right for me to, to have the mindset of this about you or to think this way about you. Why? Because they hold to the same gospel that Paul does. And they've, they've supported him as he's been in prison. Now, when Paul says, you've, you've supported me in my imprisonment, that's not just kind of an aside or kind of an off, right? No, in the first century, when someone is thrown in prison, it affects everyone who is connected to them. Not just that this is a sad state of affairs, but now everyone is affected, the Philippians included, by the fact that they have a relationship, they're connected to this Paul who is rebel-rousing, right? This Paul who is stirring up problems in the kingdom. This Paul who is causing all of these issues. This is a source of great shame for people in the first century. But what does Paul say? 
He says, look, you, you didn't care that I was imprisoned. You didn't find shame in the fact that I'm in chains. No, we're partakers of the same gospel, the same grace together. And so I feel this way. I have this love for you. You bring me this great joy because though I have been shamed for the gospel, you have still held fast, right? You have still found yourself worthy and willing to practice that shame with me. Now, you can almost feel Paul's love for the Philippians in his writings. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's an obvious love here, right? Paul is committed to them because they've been committed to him. This relationship is what gospel partnership looks like. The Philippians need Paul and Paul needs the Philippians. They encourage Paul in his sufferings, right? They're supporting him. They're they're praying for him. They're encouraging him. They're they're sending him money so that he can continue to do what God has called him to do. But then Paul is also encouraging them in his visits and in his writings to them. See, this is how the Lord has designed the Christian life to work. We partner together to follow Jesus together. See, the Christian life is meant to be lived Together. Let me just take this as a moment to plug our small groups, right? Our small groups are where this is fleshed out. We have small groups meeting right now. We've got small groups meeting the next hour. On Wednesday nights, we've got groups that meet through the week. If we're really called to live the Christian life together, that's not something that can just be done on a Sunday morning, right? This is something we've got to be committed to, to living life together, See, our God hasn't designed that we should walk alone. Isn't it interesting that we never read in the New Testament something like, dear brother, I get that the church is messy. I get that people let you down. So just stay at home and do a Bible study in your pajamas, right? We never read in the New Testament anything like, look, I get that people are hard. So just go on your own. We never find in the New Testament uh, someone being commended to practice Lone Ranger Christianity. No, what we see over and over and over and over again is that if you're going to thrive in the Christian life, if you're going to thrive as a disciple of Jesus, then you need the church, right? That's what we all need. I need the church. You need the church. Ultimately, gospel partnership is about the church, right? It's about being committed to the bride of Christ. Now, people will ask me from time to time, well, why, why do I need to go to church? Why is church so important? Why do you think church is important? And I tell them, friend, I don't think church is important. Jesus thinks church is important, right? Jesus died for the church, right? Bought with his blood. The New Testament is written to church after church after church or church leader after church leader after church leader, right? God cares about the church. And maybe you're saying, Ethan, look, I'm at the church. Why do I need to hear this, right? Well, one, because we need to be reminded that whenever people get messy and relationships get hard, the church is still worth it, right? And we need to be reminded that, hey, we need to commit to getting engaged, getting plugged in to the church, We've said this before, right now is an easy time in the life of Central to disconnect. But right now, more than any other time, is a time to connect, to press in to what the Lord is doing at Central. Because the church is God's plan, not just to reach the world, but the church is God's plan for your life. 
right? The church is God's plan for what he is going to do in you and through you. See, we need each other because we need accountability. We need encouragement. We need examples. We need someone to spur us on towards love and good works is the way Hebrews 10 says it, right? We need one another. We need the church. That's what gospel partnership is. See, if Paul needed the Philippians, then you and I need the church. The language that the New Testament uses for the church is intentional, right? We read things like body, or like brothers and sisters. Let's just take that brothers and sisters language, that familial language. It's family language, and in a family, everyone has a role, right? One doesn't just give while the other one just takes. One doesn't just serve while the other one is served. No, no, it's a relationship of interdependence, right? That you have a role and I have a role. It's a real partnership. That's what God is calling you and I to in the church. So that you don't just come to give, 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 but you come to give, to serve, and to get, right? To be encouraged. You don't come to just sit and to take, 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 but you come to take and to give, right? And that's not just financially, right? We talk about giving to the church. Sometimes our mind first goes to finances, but that's also giving of your time. Right? It's giving of your talents. It's giving of your emotions. It's giving of the way that the Lord has wired you. Right? God has wired you in the exact way that the church needs. Right? Every single person in this room has the exact gifting that you need to not only connect to the church, but also to serve the church. Because when we serve the church, we're serving Christ. Right? We're serving the one who has died for the church. See, you and I, we need one another. We need a gospel partnership. If the gospel changes everything, then that means that the gospel is going to change the way that we partner together. So we've got gospel confidence, a, a life marked that's been changed by the gospel. It's marked by gospel confidence and gospel partnership. And finally, we see this, it's marked by gospel love. See, Paul ends this introduction with the content of the prayers that he prays for the Philippians. He's convinced that the gospel changes everything. And one of the ways this is happening is in their love. Look at verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This life that's been changed by the gospel, it's a, a life that's marked by love. Paul's prayer it isn't that, hey, I pray that your numbers would abound more and more. Or that your sufferings would ease or that you'd be spared imprisonment. No, his first prayer, although I'm sure he wants those things, Philippians, but his first prayer is what? That their love would grow. That their their hearts would be changed by the gospel and given a new love, a, a new affection. He says that he hopes that their prayer, their love would abound more and more. This is literally means that they would have an overabundance of love. That their love would abound to the nth degree, right? That it would keep going and going and go, going. That they would have too much love to give. He doesn't pray that their money would abound or that their influence would abound, but that their love would abound. Now, one of the things that's important about this is that this isn't a squishy love, right? This isn't a surface level love. Look at what he says. 
He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with what? With knowledge and all discernment. See, if you're going to grow in love, if I'm going to grow in love, if we're going to grow in love, then we must grow in knowledge of what we love. You can't fall in love with and be changed by what you do not know. Anna and I got married pretty young, and one of the things that we would hear uh, commonly, regularly, is people who had been married uh, for 20, 30, 40, 50 years would say things like this. Uh, I, I remember one gentleman coming to me, he'd been married for 50 years, and he said, son, you just think you know what love is right now. But just wait. It gets better. See, what happens is, is the, the longer you live with someone, right, the more you get to know them, the more you love them. See, we can't grow in our love. Our love can't abound more and more and more if we are not regularly seeking to know the one whom we're supposed to love, right? Amen. I've done a good bit of premarital counseling and I've never said, all right, buddy, hey, if you really want to grow in love with your wife, don't talk to her, right? <laughs> don't get to know her. Don't find out what makes her tick, right? That's terrible advice. But I wonder... How often is that the way we approach our relationship with the Father? Hey, I want to love you. I, I want my love to grow. But you know what? I just don't have time to know you. I just don't have time to give to you. I saw a quote uh, last night uh, from a guy, and he said, Hey, maybe this week, compare your screen time with your prayer time. Right? And that was, ugh, Right? We can't, we can't love what we don't know. That's why Jesus tells us to love the Lord with all of our, not just heart, not just soul, not just strength, but all of our minds, right? We as believers haven't been called to a blind love and a blind faith. We have been called to an informed love and an informed faith because we don't have to fear what we might find out about our God. It's always only ever good news, Right? And maybe say, Ethan, I've got questions. Hey, the God of the universe can handle your question, right? I promise you that. See, we're supposed to grow in knowledge, but then he also says that we're to grow in discernment. This love is marked by discernment. This is the ability to understand and apply the knowledge that leads to love. So we don't just say that we love, but we show it as well. We apply this love. This is really the point Verses 9 through 11, this is an outline of a process or progress made in love. It begins with a love that grows and it leads us to approve what is excellent. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So how do we do that? How do we approve what is excellent? We get that answer in verse 11. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, what Paul is saying here is he's saying that this Change happens only by the gospel. As the, the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our hearts, we grow in love. We're filled with the righteousness that only Jesus can give. It's not one that we create or work for, but it's given through Jesus. Look closely there, carefully at verse 11. Being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes not through you and not through me and not through our work or our effort, but that comes through Jesus Christ. And the reason it comes through Jesus Christ is because of that last phrase, because the one who gets the glory and the praise isn't you and it isn't me, but it's God, right? 
And so how, how does this gospel that changes everything, how do we get some of that? Right? How do I get that? How do I know that gospel? Ethan, I want my life to be marked by confidence and by assurance and by love and by partnership. And so how do I get that? Well, you get that. We get that through the gospel that changes everything. Right? That Jesus has, has lived and has died and has taken the punishment that we deserve in our place and he's risen again. And so that if we'll put our faith and trust in him, then we can have not just life eternal, but life with him. And life with him doesn't begin then, but it begins now, right? Life with him, the blessing of the gospel isn't just heaven, but the blessing of the gospel is that God is working in you and on you right now. We might say it like this, that the gospel is for Christians too, right? That the gospel is for you and for me. Jesus didn't say, hey, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come here because I've got more work for you to do, right? He, he didn't say, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come here because I've got something that I need to lay on you. No, he said, hey, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Amen. See, the gospel is about trust and rest, that we trust Jesus to save us. And as we do that, he gives us rest. This is the promise of verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But it's not about what you and I can do, our striving and our working and all of that, but it's about what Jesus has done. See, a life changed by the gospel that changes everything is a life that's marked by gospel confidence and gospel partnership and gospel love. And these aren't things that we're, we're given at one moment and then ooh, we just move past. No, these are things that we're given at the moment we're saved and then we, we keep growing, right? The, the Lord is continually working in us and on us. We talk about the gospel's work in our lives like this, that the gospel has changed us and it is changing us. And so even if you don't feel it right now, even if you don't see it right now, you can be sure that God is doing things in your life that you might not see and you might not feel, but one day you will know it. Right? One day you will see it. One day you will feel it. So we cling to this promise of verse 6 that he who began a good work in you, not might finish it or he'll maybe finish it, but he will finish it. Because that's what our God does. He's always effective. And so maybe, maybe this morning you're saying, hey, Ethan, I, I've trusted Jesus, but hey, I'm just not feeling it. But then here's my encouragement to you is hold on to verse 6. Right? Hold on to Philippians 1. Right? Hold on to this, that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it. Press deeper into these things that Paul's talked about in this passage. Press harder into the church. If you want to see God work in your life, press into what he's doing in the church. Right, if you want to see God working in your life, then stop and pray. Lord, work this confidence and this love in my heart. Maybe this morning, the reason you're not seeing this, the reason you're not feeling this, the reason you don't have this is because you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you need to do that. And today is the day that we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And so we've got a couple ways that we do this here at Central Church. One, we've got a, a number that you can text. It's 407-338-4024. There's someone on the other end of that line who would love to start a conversation with you. 
and just talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Or, or maybe you're that one that would say, hey, I don't feel God working. I know he is, but I just need someone to pray with me. Or, or maybe, maybe you would take the step and say, I need someone to pray with me, but also I need someone to come alongside me. I need someone to disciple me. I, I need someone to walk along with me and help me figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, send that text to 407-338-4024. We've got people who would love to come alongside you, who would love to walk with you. If maybe you don't want to send a text. You can walk right out these doors Hang on right, and our next steps room is right there. At Central, we believe everyone has a next step. I've got a next step, you've got a next step. Maybe your next step is just stepping into our next steps room and talking about, hey, I, I need to help following Jesus. I've got people who would love to have that conversation with you. Whatever the Lord is calling you to do today, I pray you'll do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, we're grateful that the gospel that has saved us is the gospel that is changing us, that the gospel really does change everything. And Father, I pray that we at Central Church would be a church that is filled with joy because the gospel has changed and is changing us. And Father, I pray this morning maybe for that discouraged brother or that discouraged sister who maybe they just don't feel the Lord working in their heart and in their life right now. Father, we know that you are. And so, Father, I pray that today they would be encouraged that though they might not feel it, you are doing more than they can imagine. You are doing more than we can fathom. And Father, I pray for maybe that person who's watching online, that person here today who, who needs to trust you who needs to lay their life down and stop trying to earn it, stop trying to work for it, stop trying to be good enough or try hard enough or do enough. But that today they would trust in the finished work of Jesus who hasn't said, I've got more work for you to do, but he said, I've got a place for you to rest. Father, I pray that they would know that today. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Supply your word to our hearts in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.